Hey, Meredith, looking a little dead today. Yeah, I'm a little tired. Yeah, that's why I'm gonna give you the juice. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Gritty Reboot. Here today talking about one of my absolute favorite Spider-Fest, Reanimator. I love this movie. <laughs> I'm Pedro. I'm Meredith. And today, like I said, we are going to riff all about this 1985 gore fest. Um, I was lucky enough to discover this film off of uh, VHS. Um, yeah, that's how old I am. Uh, old VHS copy in, uh, I think, the old L&H... Um, video store back in Refurio. Yeah. 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 And uh, I rented it probably enough to where I wore this sucker out. And then I bought the very first uh, anchor Bay or elite entertainment uh, DVD. And since then, like I said, it, it, it's been a favorite film of mine. I, I love this franchise. I, I, how, how do you feel about reanimator? Well, I think you're the one that showed me reanimator when I first saw it. So I just love this movie. Oh my gosh. All the gore, all the zaniness, the camp, everything about this movie is the best. Yeah, it really is. It's a uh, it's sort of a weirdly tone perfect movie. Um, uh, Love. Uh, this is actually based off a H.P. Lovecraft story. That's not exactly you know news. The movie's called H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator. Um, and Stuart Gordon, uh, the director of this film, would make a career out of quasi adapting um, Lovecraft. And I say quasi adapting because that's pretty much what it is. He um, sort of takes the elements of Lovecraft stories and adapts them into something he can do on a low budget level. And that makes a little more sense to a modern audience. Mm-hmm. And a reanimator is a, is a great example of that. Um, you know, what he does in this movie is he takes that core element of, and, and, you know, I've, I, by the way, if you want to read HP Lovecraft story, it is not very long. Take about an hour to get through it. Yeah, uh, it's like 25 pages. Yeah. Right? But if even that long. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's it'd probably taking longer to find it, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's uh royalty free. So I think you just download a PDF. If you look for it on Google, I actually have a book with all of like HP Lovecraft stories in it. And I, I opened it up and, and read through it. And uh, fun fact before we get to talk about the movie, this is considered HP Lovecraft's weakest story. And he huh. absolutely hated it. Uh, he wrote it on commission and it's written like a serial, like each kind of like section has like a cliffhanger. And then the next section picks up describing what happened in the last section a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, it was written for a magazine, and I think that's just how it worked back in the day. Like, you'd write that installment, and the next issue would have the next installment of the reanimator. But uh, the story is uh, pretty much what we are used to. Um, We have Herbert West and an unnamed narrator. And uh, this is pretty much what it is. It's his quest to use his uh, reanimating serum to uh, bring people back. And eventually he ends up... um, uh, to get a fresh corpse, he eventually ends up murdering a man. Yeah. Um, and and that, that's the whole crux of the story. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft hates it. It's a little racist. Well, it's a lot racist, actually. But it's, uh, it's like I said, not one of his better stories. But weirdly enough, it's become one of his more famous ones because of this 1985 adaptation. There are a lot of B-movies that are made, obviously. And I think the main thing that separates this film apart from other B-movies is the amazing performance of Jeffrey Combs. I know he's the best. He's really top notch in B movies with up there with Bruce Campbell, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Really. It's, 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 um, it's him. It's him and Bruce. When you're talking about actors who have the ability to carry a movie with that unique B movie charm and have actually been in some, uh, Hollywood productions. Um, granted Jeffrey Combs hasn't been a lot and, and Bruce Campbell just got out of a Marvel movie, but, 
Um, that's only because his buddy directed it. But still, you know, if, if Bruce Campbell showed up in a big budget action movie, you really wouldn't question it. It'd be nice to see, but it's not that unexpected. He yeah. can get good work. Jeffrey Combs can find his way into um, to a horror movie if he can. Um, he's done some good work. Well, <laughs> certainly not Fear.com, but um, there's a movie he made. Uh, a few years ago where I think uh, a bunch of people at dinner tortured themselves. And the name of it just slipped my mind. It's got um, Brittany Snow in it. And uh, th- that's what it is. He plays an evil person asking people to like gouge their eyes out at a dinner party. And the winner gets yeah. a, gets a million dollars. Would you rather? That's the movie. There you go. Yeah. I knew I, I, I could see it in my head too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's great as this like Southern gentleman who is like torturing everybody here just so they can get his money. Yeah. You know, watching them all dance for his cash. Um, these are the things Jeffrey Combe does really, really well. So I think one of the things we want to talk about is um, in the show, we normally do a movie and then we talk about its reboot. Yeah. Now, technically this movie and only technically has a reboot, an Italian reboot done in 2017 called Herbert West reanimator. Um, I had the displeasure of actually checking uh, this film out and I don't speak Italian. So obviously some of the performances are lost on me, but the movie is for lack of a better term, uh, not good. And it also is not a lot like this film and also not really a lot like the original story either. So it really is just like they decided to make a character in a zombie story, Herbert West, uh, to tie it in some way to this movie for a cheap crash grab in. Yeah, a loose tie in. Yeah, so we didn't really want to count it because um, it watching it wasn't fun. It was like a bad David Lynch movie. Mm-hmm. And, and that just ended up being kind of dull. <laughs> yeah. You know, if we're going to be perfectly honest here, it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. So, um so what we're doing today is we're going to talk about Reanimator and we're going to talk about how we would give it the gritty reboot treatment. Yeah. So this movie begins uh, with a bang, really. Like you're you're showing a hospital somewhere in Europe and immediately a man is screaming for his life. Yeah. You hear a man scream and then you come into the room and it's Jeffrey Combs standing over a doctor with a needle in his arm, a big needle, a big imposing needle. Yeah, yeah. He gives the guy the, you know, he's struggling going around here. A nurse comes in the room like, what did you do to him? Yeah. And, and as he says that, like his eyes explode eyes out of explode. his head, like his brain was trying to escape his skull. Uh, hits the ground and, and we get that, that great line. score. Yeah, we get the great line first. Like, what, what did you do? You killed him. No, I gave him life. And then we get one of my favorite little elements uh, from this movie is I, I want to play a little section here of the reanimator theme. So th- this is the reanimator theme. Yeah. If you are it's a recognizable if, by anybody. If you're a film buff, it sounds a lot like another score. This is the psycho theme from Alfred Hitchcock. It's not one to one, but they are pretty similar in in, in sound and tone here. Yeah, uh, they really are. Yeah, they very much are. Like, I, matter of fact, earlier I accidentally played them on top of each other and didn't really sound that bad. It lets <laughs> you know like how, how much they they really fit together. I. Um, However, I do want to say this theme, very good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. it. It has a great score for a low-budget film. Another thing that usually hampers most low-budget entertainment is it's is the score. And this movie's score is really on point. Um, so we get the that fun title sequence with this score. And uh, from that, uh, we come into our normal setting, which yes. is uh, medical, school, medical school. Yeah, and the, the young doctor is moving a corpse into the morgue. Yes, yes, yes. We have, uh, and that, that young character, uh, that the young doctor, by the way, is called uh, Dan, uh, Dan Kane, and he's unnamed in H.P. Lovecraft's um, story. Uh, he's just literally the narrator. He doesn't ever get a name because that's just how Lovecraft rolls sometimes. But 
Um, this character, uh, these are the two characters uh, pr- primary to the franchise yeah. for the most part, because uh, he and Dan are in the sequel and uh, Dan is actually not in the third film, which I guess is the, the finale of the series, uh, which is a real shame and it hurts that movie. But I will tell you straight up, I've, I've watched Beyond Reanimator. I know you haven't. That's the third film. They have a, a proxy for Dan. Literally someone comes in brand new and does the exact same things that Dan does pretty much. Lovable oaf. Yeah, pretty much a, a, a normal person who for some reason gets bullied by Herbert West and does everything he wants in his yeah. experiments and gets his life ruined. Um, but yes, th- this movie um, introduces us here to uh, Herbert West uh, for a second time here. We understand there's some weird things going on, but the first thing he really does in the movie is we have um, two esteemed doctors, the, um, the Dean, uh, Dean Halsey and Dr. Hill, who is his number one uh, uh, professor there at, at that school. Yeah, the main antagonist of the movie. Yes, and Jeffrey Combs, uh, Herbert West comes in immediately and antagonizes him, calls his work derivative, yeah. garbage, gets right on his bad side and immediately catches Dan's attention. And uh, even even Dean Halsey's kind of like, oh, man, what's what's this kid about? Yeah, because because uh, Dr. Hill is doing that demonstration in the the hall with everybody where he peels back the skull. Yes, yes. Yeah, so you get some more gore there. Yeah, it's first day of class, and you peel it back like a rather large orange, you know, yeah. and I, I love that whole sequence where, like, boop, you know. He, He's such a gross character to me. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he very much is. Like, he has this illusion of, of class to him, and then once you get to learn a little bit more about him, you find out that's not really the case. Yeah. Um, he is um, just lusting. Uh, incredibly after uh, Dean Halsey's uh, daughter, Megan. Barbara Crampton. Barbara Crampton. My favorite. The screen queen herself, Barbara Crampton. Uh, this isn't her first role, but uh, it's it's her, one of her more notable ones. She um, uh, She's in this film. She loved making it, and she's had a great career in horror and worked with Stuart Gordon a few more times. Um, this really launched her. And I mean, she's even been in horror films recently. Um, oddly enough, I think she's having a better career um, in her senior citizen years than uh jeffrey combs has yeah yeah because yeah because she's been in some some really dynamic independent films and she was even in um i'm trying to remember that one slasher she was in yeah we saw who's next yeah yeah Yeah, that one that that's a really um she's in that one and and granted um you know she is older and she's not playing the protagonist but she's still still in the movie yeah she still looks great yeah and even in in the we are still here a movie i love and um we can't cover because it doesn't need a gritty reboot Uh, (laughs) it's a fantastic film check it out we are still here i think it's on shutter um she really does fantastic work even here um and she is one of the things that i love about this movie is it has a love triangle in it, but not in the normal way you would expect. I, I've always said this movie is a love triangle between uh, Megan, Barbara Crampton, uh, Dan, and Herbert West. Uh, Meg and uh, Dan are very happy together, and Herbert immediately comes in and drives a wedge in between them. Yeah, he really hates Barbara Crampton's character. He does, he does. And as a matter of fact, he pretty much hates everybody. Like He's kind of woman-hating. Well, I mean, it's not just woman I mean, he hates everybody. He hates the Dean, he hates, uh, <laughs> uh, he hates Dr. Hill. I mean, he gets on everyone's bad side, except for Dan. Yeah. Dan is the only person he doesn't have ire or H- hatred for. He's just, he, he almost kind of respects Dan. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He he likes Dan, um, and that, to me, like I said, that's what makes it interesting. It reminds me of uh, of uh, Bride of Frankenstein in in some ways with uh, Pretorius, that character, and uh, Doctor Frankenstein, um, and also in that way, I, I think um, I have a film professor that I uh, 
and I uh, studied under years ago, uh, Harry Benshoff, he would refer to the situation as the queer other. And that is sort of what Jeffrey Combs is. Um, in a different world, he'd be classified or coded as a queer character without saying, hey, I'm gay. And that happened a lot in older Hollywood, and it certainly happened in A Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, um, you know, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein are two movies that this film takes from immensely. And I think that it gives you an extra element to it. Because if you watch it, as I said, Herbert West is cold with every single character in the movie, except for Dan. He's close to Dan. He holds him close. Yeah, he wants him he involved in his him. experience. Yeah, like, I mean, he doesn't get any close to anybody. But, like, when Dan sort of has that mental breakdown after uh, Halsey is brought back from the dead, um, you know, he immediately goes and he covers him, caresses Dan. You know, it'll be okay. Don't worry. I've got it. You know, like yeah, he, yeah. he goes in shock. Yeah. He immediately, he cares for Dan when he doesn't care for anybody else. It, it's, a, it's a very unique dynamic. Uh, no matter what, Dan is sort of trying to get away from Herbert West, but he's drawn to West and his brilliance, no matter what. And that's an element from um, the original HP Lovecraft story as well, even though this film expands on it rather nicely. Yeah. So moving on to kind of the, some of the elements in the movie that we, we enjoyed, um, we were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, how creepy Dr. Hill was. And there's a scene at a dinner table where they're all toasting to various things. And Dr. Hill is just staring at Barbara Crampton. Yeah. Just staring at her like she's a piece of meat. Yeah. Openly lusting after her, almost licking his ugh. lips as he does it. Oh, it's just so, ugh. Oh yeah, I mean he is. I mean he. I mean, he is right in it. I mean that. Yeah. That's that's a crazy thing. I mean he really is just, just. <laughs> so that's one of the things that I would do in a gritty reboot is I would kind of pulse up that that relationship there. Yeah, make it more icky. Yeah, I, I think that's something that deserves to be uh, played up. And I, and I think one of the things that uh, in this film, its tongue is firmly in his cheek throughout the entire running time. This movie doesn't take itself very seriously. Yeah. And I think that it would be one thing that you could certainly glance from uh, Lovecraft's original story is to get back to the Lovecraftian dread of bringing people back from the beyond and things like that. Yeah, and the hypnotist angle that you were telling me yes, about. Yes, yes. I think that would be good for a gritty reboot is have him be a, hip, a hypnotist, a hypnotizer and everything. Yeah, if you've watched this movie a few times, you're probably like, hypnotist, what the hell are they talking about? Um, actually, if you uh, pick up the, uh, the special edition Blu-ray you can uh, hear on the commentary track and see a couple of the deleted scenes that they still have where uh, Dr. Hill uh, hypnotizes some characters. Yeah. And this was a subplot that was going to be running throughout the film of him using his powers to hypnotize people, which also explains later why he could just control all the, the, uh, the, the reanimated the, the corpses. Re yeah. The yeah. Yeah. The reanimated corpse. He can control them all. Even though oddly enough in the movie where it is, it not being explained makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I've, I've never questioned it, but it, it, I think somebody told the director, he's like, listen, man, you got reanimated zombies. You got all this other stuff. Maybe you don't need one extra weird thing going on in this movie. Yeah. So he ended up cutting that whole storyline. And I think that can be something that can be re-explored in this movie uh, in, in a reboot. And may, and you can make it dark because Hypnotism is basically an invasion of the mind. Yeah. So you can really flesh out that angle a lot more if you did a gritty reboot. Well, one of the things that I, I like about a, a reboot with Dr. Hill's character is that you can tell a story about, because they really don't get into his character all that much, just a bit. But I mean, you can talk about like a surgeon or a doctor who has had his best days behind him. 
His theories are disproven. He needs something new. And Herbert West is that ticket to it. You know, he feels old and, and, you know, which is why he's lusting after a 19, 20 year old co-ed. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think those are things you can really push up, like push his jealousy angle towards Herbert West. Cause it's not really indicated that he's jealous of, of Herbert more than he absolutely just hates him for trying to show him up. Actually, I think there is a little element of jealousy to You think so? You think so? Yeah, because he just he kind of goes out of his way to kind of steal his work. Like he knows he knows about Herbert West. He's mm-hmm. very obviously very aware of who he is. Yeah. So uh, I think there is an element of jealousy to him. Maybe so. Maybe so. I always thought he was a bit more dismissive, but I can understand that as well. One of the things that I I, I do like about um, their relationship is there's a scene later on where um, Dean Halsey has already been a reanimated corpse and Dr. Hill has operated on him and he's figured out like, okay, this guy's dead, but he's still walking around. That's kind of weird. So he goes to the one guy who weird shit's been happening around. That's Herbert West. And when he sees his work, he's actually quite complimentary. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, amazed at what yeah, he's, he's discovered. Like, Your work off that old Coots uh, science is quite brilliant. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, you know, he, he really throws some praise and it gets him murdered. Um, because Herbert West, don't fuck around. It's no fool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he knows that any, anything there is just smoke blowing up his ass, basically. Mm-hmm. That the. This is his discovery. Yeah. He's yeah. going to be the one. Oh, yeah. There's only one person he'll share that credit with, and that's Dan. Yeah. And that's it. (laughs) Everybody else is dead. It it is an interesting element to me that that's there, almost as a weird mutual respect. And that's what drives uh, Herbert West to murder him. He'd cut his head off, and then eventually Herbert West, his sick fascination himself, brings him to bring back both pieces of the body. The severed head and the body, which is hilarious. Absolutely. Watching the body fumble around and things like that. And uh, the actor who plays Dr. Hill, um, just fantastic. I mean, it's tough to be on screen with a guy like Jeffrey Combs chewing scenery, but he does a great job playing a head in a tray. And that's weird praise. But I mean, to give a part like that an extra little bit and to make that a real fan favorite, I I think is really something, you know, with what he has to work with. And he's great as, as Dr. Hill. Yeah, he really is. He's he's just such a slimy character. Even when he's a severed head, he's still slimy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But some more, uh, there's a lot of comedic elements to this movie. Your first comedic element is the dead cat in the fridge. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that, that's almost, a, we talked about Bruce Campbell a little bit earlier. That's what that reminded me of. Like yeah. Him throwing the dead cat on his back and just, ro- you know, rolling around, settling it like it's the deadliest <laughs> attack in the world. And, uh, you know, it's hilarious and it, and it's great. You know, it, it really is. Um, but, you know, but, you know, once again, the movie can still tie it back to the original darkness of the HP Lovecraft story, you know, as well, uh, because the, when it starts, it's sort of a horrific thing. Uh, Meg finding the dead cat inside of the fridge. Yeah. And then we have that comedic payoff. And then we go back to the horrific again when the cat is with a broken back dead and he's brought back. And there's this great fascination on Dan's face. You're like, my God, it works. And then he's immediately snapped back into reality. Immediately taken right back in because he has uh, Megan come right into the basement and see what they're doing. It's obviously horrified because she's a regular person who doesn't value medical medical advancement above all things. Absolutely. So, and it becomes really a... um, And and, and once again, that's the moment with there is the, the wedge driven further in. You know, Dan has to see how much further this goes, what he can find about 
bringing people back from Herbert West. And it, it leads him down this this path that obviously destroys everything. And I think that's more of what you want to draw on in a grittier reboot. Move away from those comedic elements, even though I love them, and tell yeah. a more serious, grounded story about what would happen if a man stumbled on this invention about bringing people back. But they weren't quite right. But you feel like if you just adjusted enough, you could get people to come back. You know, that, that yeah. draw, that... You know, the forbidden fruit, like, I, I just have to try to see if I can tame it. And I think the audience is Dan, too. We, yeah, we yeah, are, he is our proxy. We are, yeah, he's the proxy in this relationship on screen. Um, so I would keep that in a gritty reboot as well. I would keep Dan as the, the audience. Yeah, and I think no matter what, that, that character has to to fill that role. I was going to mention that, that that Italian reboot. I don't believe they have a Dan character. Uh, yeah they don't i think it's about his sister his sister dies and that's why he becomes the reanimator so uh, i do want to mention um that these movies have, have a similar tone uh throughout them uh, Stuart gordon only directs the first film and then uh, brian usna who direct who produced the first movie directs uh the other two so the sequels uh lose a few things and um the second film is is sort of a, a repeat of this movie except combined a lot more with bride of frankenstein which I think is a great draw and parallel um, for both of these movies. You know, if you're going to draw from movies, you want to draw from the classics. Yeah. You know, no one's going to go out there and say, hey, I'm going to draw elements from Ishtar. You know, they're going to try to bring elements from, you know, the great classic films. And that's a, a fantastic one to do it with. And I think uh, from a reboot, you can lean more into that element of a Frankenstein story as well. Um, This first movie doesn't have it, but the second film involves Jeffrey Combs and and Dan putting together a body, a bride of reanimator, if you will. Um, and, and that's an element that I really like as well. Him basically trying to piece together the ultimate person. I think if I was going to do a gritty reboot of this movie, that's an element I would take from the second film as well that I really, really like, like him making his own life, proving a point. Yeah. Um, it also goes into what I was talking about with the queer other. Like there's even a speech where he's like, I've made a better creature than God ever could or any womb could ever produce. You know, like he doesn't need women at all. I've got it all. I can create. Yeah, he I, does play God. Yeah, and that's an element I, I really liked it, that I wish was added a bit more upon in the first movie. But they do a nice job of that in the sequel. And that's another element I would definitely bring in from the rest of the franchise. The less said about Beyond Reanimator, um, the best, the better. Um, it, it, it's just, it's, well, I take it back. That film had a bit of a disservice. I saw it only once and it was on the sci-fi channel and they cut out all the gore. Yeah. So maybe one day if I go look back at it with the gore, I might appreciate it. So with the dead cat scene, um, we f we get the score again mm -hmm. because it's finally when Dan actually realizes what's going on here. He he kind of doesn't believe uh, Herbert West in the beginning. No. Uh, so Herbert West is because because Dan throws the cat against the wall and it dies. Yes. Yeah. So he's like, well, maybe it wasn't dead to begin with. Maybe it was just maybe you slowed the heart down, you know, while you put it in the fridge and and stuff like that. So he throws the, the cat against the wall. And then, um, you know, Herbert West is talking about, OK, you don't believe me. Let me show you again. So he takes the serum and he injects the cat again and the cat comes back to life. And you can see the cat has like its guts splayed out. Yeah, it's inner just out on it's, the table. It's clearly dead, but it comes back to life. So you get Dan's realization that all of this is real. And then the score comes in, which I think is really nice. It's a nice way to add in that score right there because yeah. it's 
uh, the audience coming to realization as well that this is all real. Yeah, yeah. And then after this sequence, you get him um, basically, I think, doing what I think any logical person would do. He goes right to Dean Halsey and was like, we we found this this way to bring people back. Like, I, I didn't believe it, but it's true. We can reanimate dead flesh. And the Dean won't hear any of it because he's a closed-minded guy. And also, he's discovered that Dan is is plowing his daughter. Yeah. Which, I mean, probably, you know, blinds him to any sort of scientific discovery that could be made from it. You know, all he does is want to get Dan out of his way. And obviously, he doesn't want Jeffrey, you know, Herbert West there at all anymore. Uh, so he throws them both out of school after that one, which leads to the experiment sequence. Because with their careers pretty much shot. They're like, let's go all in and let's yeah. bring back a full-size human body. And uh, leads to a fantastic sequence of them going into the morgue, finding a somewhat freshly, de- uh, freshly dead bodybuilder and yeah. um, in squirting, what, like two full vials of the reagent I'm into his head. You. Yeah, they're just like, it didn't work. Let's give him some more. And he comes back as an enraged beast and, and eventually destroys the entire morgue and kills a uh, kills Dean Halsey, who comes in basically. Yeah, he bites his finger off and then kills him. Yeah, to lay justice on on Dan and uh, Herbert West when they when they're there, uh, he's coming in there to discipline him, and he gets uh, absolutely destroyed by that guy. Um, and then, of course, as the movie always does, there's one thing that Herbert West always wants to do, and that's bring back dead things. The second Dean Halsey is dead, fresh they, corpse. They put him on the table. They bring him back and even makes a nice speech like you did me a favor by letting me into your school. And now I give you life. <laughs> you know, it's it's great. And but once again, it's like it always is. He's not right because his brain was probably destroyed by him bashing his head against the wall. Um, so he comes back as another mindless freak. And uh, Jeffrey from Herbert West is able to quickly tell the authorities his version of the story. He was already prepared to have that in hand and is able to blame the dean. The dean's a a crazy man. So the story makes sense. He ends up getting committed and and Dan and Herbert West, they move on. Yep. They move on to other zaniness. Yeah. They they continue our story. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I I think, I, I think, you know, oddly enough, you know, other than the the comedic element of, of, of some of the sequence here, you know, in a reboot, like that almost would stay about the same because it, it's good story, to be perfectly you honest. You keep the zaniness. Yeah. You, keep yeah. The, you take out the comedy, but you keep the zaniness. Yeah, I mean, there is an inherent ridiculousness to people coming back from the dead and just becoming, you know, mindless, raging freaks. Okay, so after uh, we get that scene, we move on to... Uh, Herbert West killing Dr. Hill with a shovel. He decapitates his head, and that's how we get on to the head in the pan. Yes, yes, yes. Because like I said, he'd already discovered that um, Dean Halsey was dead but still moving around, so he has to figure it out. And when he comes there, he finds out what Dr. West has done, and Dr. West immediately underestimates Hill after he's converted him into a zombie and the... Um, yeah, he steals all his research. Yeah, the headless, the headless body knocks him out. And they end up stealing everything and taking it back to uh, Dr. Hill's lab where they put together a plan. Yeah. Yeah. And so Dr. Hill now freed from the mortal coil and with the serum pulsing through his brain, his morals out the window It is all about one thing, building up his power and fulfilling his fantasies. And getting Megan. Exactly. And that's part of that fantasy. (laughs) He's going to go back to the morgue. He's going to bring back the corpses. He's going to do his lobotomy surgery to them so he can control them with his possible hypnotism. Yeah. <laughs> with his possible hypnotism. 
And then, of course, the main course, Megan. Yeah. What he really wants. Um, so disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's some sequences in, in between this where, you know, we have Dan talking to Megan and things like that, trying to justify what happened. Obviously, Megan wants to know what the hell happened to her father, who was perfectly normal five minutes earlier, and then he is a absolute raving lunatic by the time she finds him again. Yeah, and Dr. She- Hill busts uh, her father out of out of the, the morgue. Where I, well, actually, I don't really know where he is. Well, no, he's he's he's, he's committed. Yeah, he's committed. And Doctor yeah. Hills, Doctor Hills is doctor. Yeah, he breaks him out. Yeah, yeah, and that's why. And then she, and they, yeah, they go he's to captured by Barbara Campton gets captured by her dad. Basically. Yeah, and before that, they go to find him, and that's when Dan and Megan learned about the lobotomies. Yeah, because her father's been lobotomized, so Doctor Hill can control him, and that's when things uh, kicking into high gear. Yeah, uh, you know, back at her house, they he captures her, and he takes her back to his lair. And Dan is almost done for, but luckily Herbert West comes to rescue him and revive him, bring him back. Um, and they start formulating a plan. D- uh, of course, Herbert West doesn't care at all about saving Mag. He wants to get his damn research. Yeah. And kill Dr. Hill. Yeah. Because that's the one thing. We talk about these reanimated corpses. They can be killed again in regular means, brought back, and then murdered for another time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're not necessarily zombies that they can survive anything. They can be killed. And this leads to the showdown. And we have Dr. Hill, who surprises West by bringing back all the zombie, all the corpses in the morgue, all of them under his control. And it leads to this huge fight sequence. Uh, Jeffrey Combs still chewing scenery. Get a job on a sideshow. Like, I love that line when yeah. he tells, you're just a head in a jar. I, I mean, our head in a, a, a tray. Yeah, he belittles them. Yeah, because that's just what Herbert West does. Yep. And it, it, it I mean, you talk about a fantastic sequence. Um, if you like zombie action and man ass, this is the sequence for you. Cause there's a lot of both here. Um, and it's so, so really nice make effects get, too. You get your look at Barbara Crampton. You do, you do, you do. Some of the more disgusting elements. Of yeah. The yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. We just sort of skipped over the, the, the head giving head yeah. sequence, but, Ugh. uh, yeah, he assaults her it's by, uncomfortable. by every time I see that movie. Yeah. Tying her down. And then like the severed head, like slowly goes over her body and like, you know, licks like her breasts and down yeah. her tummy and things like that till, he eventually is trying to perform cunnilingus on her. Um, and that's when Dr. West, like, look at you, lusting after a co-ed. How sad. Yeah. You know, immediately takes him back down a peg. But, I mean, it's it's an iconic sequence in the film. Uh, Barbara Crampton, um, obviously, this is what made her famous. She looks fantastic here. But it's an unsettling sequence. It's and, very unsettling. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, I mean, it's crazy they even got it on film, if you really think about it. Even in the 80s, it seems kind of weird. But I mean, you know, that's just the kind of thing you could do in, in lower budget cinema. You and know, Barbara Crampton does a great job at being screaming, yeah, <laughs> screaming and yeah. being icky. Yeah, she 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 plays it about as it should be played. Um, and so that leads us into our finale. All hell breaks loose. Uh, Dean Halsey is compelled to his humanity by his daughter and saves her from uh, Doctor Hill, and he murders Doctor Hill by squeezing his head. Yeah, throwing it against great the wall. Gory scene. Um, which doesn't kill him because he comes back in the sequel and um, does that. And eventually um, Dean Halsey is ripped apart by all the other zombies while Dan and Megan escape. And Herbert is consumed by the over reagented body of Dr. Hill. Yeah. Tentacles shoot out of him and wrap around his face and drag him almost into the body. Dan reaches for him. There's a shot where he just Herbert grab my hand and he, and he won't do it. So even when all these things have gone down, he still won't abandon Herbert West. 
Yeah. Yeah, Dan still won't abandon They're him. They're buddies now. Yeah, They've yeah. Been through this whole experience. Yeah, together. and I, I think as a, as a narrative, uh, when people get what they deserve in a film, I think with Megan dying, I think that's the repercussion for him never rejecting Herbert West. Yeah. For him never running away from that that, uh, that other thing to go back to his heterosexual uh, love with Megan. You know, he never fully embraces it. He always has that um, that love for Herbert West and his scientific discovery. So he can't abandon him. And as they go to the end sequence, Megan is choked out by a uh, reanimated corpse and killed. Yeah. He tries to bring her back, but it doesn't work by normal means. So there's only one solution left as the movie draws to a close. The juice. Yep. Uh, Stuart Gordon told a, a great story. The very first test screening, he was nervous as all hell. And when the movie was coming to a close, the audience was, you know, reacting. So he's like, all right, I got something here. And like the second they say she's dead, one guy in the audience goes, give her the juice. <laughs> um, and so, and then the second, like he brings out the rage of the crowd cheers. Yeah, we know it's coming. Yeah. And, he, and he, that's when Stuart Gordon realized like, oh man, I got a hit on my hands. Um, and he was right. He was right. Because you're, you're invested up to that point with the amount of fun that really is in this movie. Um, and, you know, th- this end sequence, I think is is well done and i think if you were going to improve upon it if you if you did a reboot i think you'd you'd want to have uh more zombies and um even more gore and action in in that sequence you know dan chopping his way through corpses and things like that uh finding his way uh to really do all these things with those zombies i, I think that's another way you could improve upon it but really, you know, one of the things the movie does well is that it, it does lead everything nicely to that finale with, yeah. you know, Dr. Hill. We get all our characters in one place. It's amazing how many movies end and we don't get all our characters in the same place for a finale. <laughs> it's, it, it sort of bothers me. But this movie does that. And I think if you were going to do a reboot, that's one thing you have to do. Get all your storylines to come right together at the very end in, in your pyramid for the finale. Yeah. So if you were to have anybody play Herbert West in your gritty reboot, who would that be? I'd say, uh, let's see. I'd say Eisenberg from um, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, Jesse Eisenberg from uh, Social Network. Uh, he might be a little bit older, but I, I think he has that manic energy uh, to play like a doctor just on the cusp of the greatest discovery of all time, while also having that perverted madness that runs through Herbert West. Yeah, you know, because and not everyone who's going to get a, a serum like that is going to bring back everything that he finds, you know, and that's what Herbert does. He just brings back everything. I think he's someone who can do a great job playing that character. I I think the per- perfect person to play Herbert West uh, now would be Nicolas Cage. Yeah, no, I, I, I if you think about like 1980s Nick Cage playing this role. I, I I I love that. You know, I I really do. Yeah, um, I think now he could play this. Yeah, role. because we're, you're only really locked into the medical student thing from H.P. Lovecraft's work. It, it's not particularly important. It doesn't have to be a medical student, in all honesty, but to Nicholas do the story. Cage is just zany enough to play Herbert West. Yeah, yeah, and, and he, he can cer- really embody Yeah, and he that. can hit that uh, that dramatic element too that that is certainly needed uh, for a role like this. And, uh, you know, Nick Cage, he takes everything seriously, no matter what it is or how ridiculous. Yeah. We've seen the Wicker Man. You know, I mean, I mean, that couldn't have read better on the page and turned out on screen. So a guy like Nick Cage will commit fully to a big project like that. So I think that's another thing to keep in mind. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that, that's a good recasting. Uh, Dan could be almost anybody if you recast it, to be honest. He, he's not exactly the, the most important character. All right. Well, that basically is in the conclusion of our movie. Um, but I want to go through some of the reviews, the user reviews that we've gotten. 
Um, like I did last week there, uh, I like the one star reviews. Uh, in this case, there was no really one star reviews that I could find. There were a lot of five star reviews. Um, the lowest I could find was a two star review. Um, and here it is. I understand that the film may have been groundbreaking in its time, but this is simply a, a film review from someone in his 20s in 2021. Another horror movie that has no believable characters. They're all stupidly simple motives with zero nuance. The movie relies fully on main characters making uncharacteristically poor decisions every mm -hmm. step of the way. <laughs> Just lazy, boring writing that wants to get to the killings in horror by any means. I laughed once, but that was because of a really clever piece of special effects. The two stars are for the gory effects and and couple of excellent zombie uh, performances. Every, everything was else was boring. How am I supposed to enjoy a movie with a bunch of incongruent characters bumbling around? The dialogue was pretty lame, too. Watch it for the special effects and expect nothing else cool or entertaining. I really don't think that guy understood the movie at all. No, no. Um, that's, um, I mean, I guess it's his perspective. You know, we have to remember that, you know, we're a little bit older. So if you... You didn't grow up with entertainment like this. It's a little bit strange to you. Yeah. Uh, if you've been exposed to a lot of Hollywood horror movies and things like that, like a movie like this can be quite jarring. He did say he was in his 20s when he first saw this. Yeah, exactly. Which was last year. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, listen, it, I mean, it, it is what it is. You know, older films can sometimes sour, you know, in the belly of a younger viewer. Yeah. And, and listen, that, that that's all it is. I And I mean, he isn't particularly wrong. I mean, there's not nuance in, in the script or anything like that. But the one thing the script does have is it flows really nicely. Yeah. Yeah, it flows really nicely. So I uh, I could certainly respect the opinion of old Youngblood there, but I, I, I don't agree with it. So uh, this movie got a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it had an 82% audience score. Uh, 4.5 was the user rating for this movie. Um, one of the other aspects of this movie is Roger Ebert. He weighed in on this movie. Mm -hmm. um, he rated it at three stars. Yeah. And just to give you some expert excerpts from his, uh, review, cause he writes long reviews. Yeah. He gets does really, write long reviews. really into it, yeah. but he basically said that this was a bad dream on the screen. He, he called it a frankly gory movie that finds a rhythm and style that makes it work in a cockeyed offbeat sort of way. And then by the end of the movie, we are keenly aware that nothing of consequence has happened, but so what? We have been assaulted by a lurid imagination, amazed by unspeakable sights, blindsided by the movie's curiosity, dry sense of humor, and I guess that's what your money's worth. All right. That's a nice words by Roger Ebert. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert gets a, a, a tough um, opinion from uh, horror fans because he hated a, a lot of horror movies. But I'll be honest, you know, you know me, I, I love Friday the 13th, but those aren't great pieces of cinema yeah they're barely cinema but he's always in my opinion given fantastic reviews to horror films that are fantastic mm -hmm. um evil dead one and two he gave a great review to armored darkness he gave a, a little bit less so but he still liked that movie reanimator he gave that a good review nightmare on elm street gave a fantastic review to that film so i ebert's lineage through horror reviews i think is a bit unfair he is Dawn of the Dead. I mean, his the first DVD I ever bought was Dawn of the Dead, and his review of four stars is right on the box. Yeah. You know, and, and by the way, he went against critical consensus for Dawn of the Dead. Critics immediately bashed it as a gore fest. He's like, there's a lot more here. And he was, you know, able to point those things out, and, and obviously time has proven him right on that one. Mm -hmm. And I mean, listen, Ebert missed the mark on some movies, 
But it's nice to see some of these films where he did hit the mark. And I can say, like, no, he was the greatest critic of all time. And he loved this movie. Yeah, well, I read through the entire review and he did love the movie, but I don't think he appreciated its campiness. I think if he if we would have had a grittier movie, he would have liked it more. So he'd have liked our version a little bit better. Yeah, he would have liked yeah. our darker version. I think, oh, a lot yeah, better. yeah. Well, just the gore, just not, only a couple of the chuckles here and there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Ebert from Beyond the Grave. Yep. That's uh, that's our movie for this week. So I have a little surprise for you. Oh, great. Did you know that when they made a third movie, they had a theme song to go along with it? Okay. Oh, yes. They made a theme song. And I'm, I'm going to play it for you right now. Oh, boy. It's fantastic. Come on, boys and girls. Come a little closer. I'm the reanimator. Yeah, no, it's real. It's real. I promise. I didn't fake this. I didn't make this in like. I was gonna say, did I, you I, make I, this? I didn't make this in like ten minutes on in GarageBand. This. Uh, <laughs> Omg. Wait, you gotta wait for the chorus here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's happening. Like Ace of Base did this. It's a. Uh, oh yeah, it's it's a a, a mid O's uh, European dance track. Uh, Beyond Reanimator was <laughs> was made in Spain, so it's a little more European style. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is what this is the uh unofficial th- this is the official theme song of the third film and in my opinion the official theme song of the entire franchise. <laughs> All right, we're about we're about to get to the hook. You got to hear it. Move your dead bones is the name of the song. Move your dead bones. All Move right. your dead bones. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. I am Pedro. And, and I am Meredith. <laughs> we are taking off today. We hope you enjoyed our version of Deddy Reboot, of uh, Gritty Reboot of uh, Reanimator. And we'll see you next week. Absolutely. And don't forget, we have an email address that you can email us if you have any suggestions on movies that you would want us to do. It's grittyrebootcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>